Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to uh, Know Your Gear uh, QA, I guess, questions and answered. Uh, this is a bonus one. And uh, what's going on? We got some huge announcements to make, so I wanna make some fun announcements. First, uh, I have now uh, added a, uh, a ton of new platforms to hear the podcast. You might be on one of those platforms right now, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, you can check it out. The other thing is the podcast name is uh, is under change right now. In other words, it's not officially changed, it's changing from KYG Podcast to Know Your Gear Podcast. I believe KYG Podcast will still work. It's obviously the same thing, it's the, uh, it's the letters of Know Your Gear. Um, and, uh, you know, either way, I'm just making the announcement. We're trying to change it to know your gear, just to make it less confusing for people and make it easier to find know your gear. So what do we got? Let's go some emails. So that's the whole point of these. We're going to do some emails. This is from a bunch of freaking letters. KJUV. I'm not making this up. This is a person's name. Uh, I'm going to say the name's J cause it sounds like it might be J it says, hope this email finds you well, love your channel. I know you must get a ton of emails, but I thought I would take a chance and see if I could get some advice. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I purchased a 2009 Gibson Les Paul 59 RE reissue. RE reissue. RE reissue. Uh, used in a private sale. At the time of the sale, I phoned Gibson customer service and they verified the serial number and confirmed the color in the guitar and that it was that it was it yep so it's a real guitar and i'm 99 certain the guitar is real deal but there are a few things that confuse me okay let's uh let's find out jay what's confusing you he says the fretboard is supposed to be rosewood but my guitar is very light in color and not porous at all that is because there are so many different kinds of rosewood and rosewood species and things that they use that uh, that you will find that there's variants. There's also the likelihood uh, that uh, that it's not rosewood because maybe the um, the company that milled the wood and shipped it to Gibson put some pale faro or something else in that mix, and then the employee grabbed it and didn't see it. I don't think that's very likely, um, but I've heard crazy stories. You know what I mean in the factories, you know stuff. But uh, but I would I would I would bet it's just a so you know I have a the problem with working on guitars is you get picky. I get so picky over time that you that you have to worry. I get picky about certain kinds of rosewood. Like there's, I only like certain kinds of rosewood. The tighter grain rosewood. It's really, really dark and tight. I like that. I don't like the, like I said, the more porous where the grain is open and I kind of feel like it's more of rough. Um, so yeah, it's possible. Um, so I'm not really concerned about that. So let's keep going. It says on most other 59s, I've seen the rosewood is very dark and very porous. Yeah. So again, uh, variances in wood is, is normal. It's a tree. It's the time of year. You have to understand you're thinking of it like a type of guitar model and you got to realize it's a type of guitar year. So let me give you an example. Let's say a guitar company like Gibson makes a Gibson Les Paul, uh, 59 reissue and they make it for a period of one year over that year let's say it's possible that they receive three shipments of wood throughout the year and those uh, shipments are from different regions of where they get the rosewood they could be from different times the rose the rosewood could be from um and plus if you know how what rosewood is it's in the center of a tree and it's kind of a weird weird kind of thing anyways um like ebony where 
um, there's just going to be all kinds of factors to what how it grows and why. So what I'm saying is 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 that if you're seeing yours and you're looking at others and they're different, it would only matter if yours was different if you were looking at ones that were made the same month, the same batch, you know what I mean? If you could get that, that would be a little strange to me. But the idea that maybe a batch of guitars went out different than the other batches is very common. So far, nothing, I'm not saying this is right, uh, that your guitar is, you know, uh, right or wrong. I'm saying that what you're saying does not, does not seem to freak me out as stuff I've seen and heard over my travels of guitardom. <laughs> uh, it says, I'm also seeing pretty serious fret sprout uh, that is visible through the binding. That again uh, could be exactly a combination of things. So the piece of wood that you got, uh, maybe it's reacting. Maybe it didn't get dried properly. And um, it was really, and that's why it's the discolored and stuff, you know, right? Because maybe it's a different type of, of rosewood, maybe. Again, all the things I've said. Um, so nothing about that uh, is is freaking me out. Um, your fret sprout's going to be an issue because it's going to crack that binding. Um, it will over time. How do you fix that? Well, yours is a 2009. Gibson is like wrestling a bear that's pissed and pregnant. So it's a tough thing, but I would get customer service and send pictures of your problem and see what they say. Maybe you can get warranty work done uh, if there's a problem. It's tough. I, I can tell you that Fender would take care of it. So I'm not sure what to do about this. I don't like uh, taking my guitars to a local music store here due to the past bad experience. Well, then don't do that. That's uh, when you say that out loud, man, that's sometimes nice to type something out loud, right? You're like, hey, should I go there? I had a bad experience. Uh, then no, no, you had a bad experience. That means uh, the likelihood of having another bad experience is pretty on the spot, especially if you didn't tell them you had a bad experience. Um, Usually, if you have a bad experience, the best thing you can do is one of two things. You can either decide never to do business with that company again. I'll, I'll tell you uh, on a side note, since all these are seem to be me going on tangents, I'll say Jay. Jay, I'll tell you a little weird thing that I do, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's definitely what I do. When I have a bad experience with a company, I make a decision right then whether or not I'm ever going to do business with them again. And if I don't ever want to do business with them again, I don't ever tell them there was a problem. I just go. Like, that's it. I'm done. If you ever hear me complain about a company, it's because I'm trying to get them uh, to tell them the problem, right? So in other words, I'm I've, uh, usually I'm not complaining to you guys. I'm telling you guys about how I complain to a company. Usually if I complain to a company, like for instance, if you went to a local music store and had a bad experience, if it's somebody you think like, oh, uh, like for instance, I'm not saying because I like the store. I'm saying proximity is right next to my house. I'm probably going to have to go back there again, right? Uh, so here's a good analogy or a good uh, way to think of this. If I went to a, uh, a, uh, a chain of restaurants, you know, let's say, I don't care, you know, pick one, right? Some chain restaurant chain, let's say Chipotle. If I went to Chipotle and I was in Nebraska and I had a bad experience, I may not necessarily say anything. I may be like, ah, that sucks. I'm never going to this Chipotle in Nebraska ever again. If I even come back to this place, although the Chipotle down the street from my house, I would definitely walk back in and go, Hey, here's the problem because I need to come back there again. So uh, to, 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 your, uh, to your statement, if you had a bad experience, I would say don't try them again. But also if it's your, because it says the store, you said I'm taking guitars to my local music store. It's, oh, it's close to your house. I would also take the chance to tell them the bad experience. 
it, I'm assuming you haven't. You may have, and that may be why there's even more of a bad experience because you told them they don't care. And that's why I tell you to tell them. I find that when you tell somebody your issue, it's not what they do, it's how they react that I gauge. Obviously, they want them to take care of me. If I'm like, hey, I'm, at, I'm using Chipotle. If I'm at Chipotle and the chicken's not right, whatever, I'm like, it's undercooked. And they're like, obviously, I want chicken that's not undercooked. I want it fixed. But really what I want is I want to experience their reaction. I want them to go, whoa, whoa. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, look at that. Oh, that's crazy. You know, um, what I don't want them to be like is, yes, uh, actually, I'll give you an example. I think I've told this story a, a dozen times, uh, but I like telling it. My wife likes this breakfast place down the road from us. It's very expensive. <laughs> I don't know why. I, actually, I know why, because it's a hipster thing. I don't, please understand, I'm old, everybody. So I don't know what it, it is, but you go there and it's like, even though you can get breakfast anywhere else, this place has got to cost uh, a mint. And I mean a mint. I think uh, with tip, I'm always like 46 bucks for breakfast. Maybe I have unrealistic expectations. Right now, I'm imagining some of you guys either freaking out about how insane that price is and some of you going, well, that's what it costs, dude. Calm down. Either way, I'm going to tell you where I'm at. 46 bucks with tip for breakfast for two people. Just seems crazy. And my wife gets this thing that's like not even a thing. Like, I don't know. Right. It's like, it's one of those, like, you know, it's got like some little leaves on it and <laughs> some kind of poached egg and a avocado. I don't know. It's, you understand where I'm talking about? Do you guys understand these places I'm talking about? Right. Where I go there and, and they have one meal for like the, the average dude to buy from. And it's like the, this is everything else is something strange. And I like the strange stuff. So it's not, you, you peg me wrong. If you think I'm, I'm a ham, eggs and potatoes guy, uh, no, I like crazy stuff. If you want, you know, uh, you know, if you got some kind of like Brussels sprout and egg and chorizo and, uh, you know, lime, uh, you know, uh, enchilada thing, I'll try that. But uh, so anyways, my point is um, I got eggs there and we've been there like nine, ten times, seriously. And <laughs> we got the eggs and they were undercooked. They were all runny. They were like they were scrambled. I had them scrambled and they were runny, scrambled. There was like gelatinous in the eggs. And, um, you know, they bring the plate and I look at it and the waitress ran off and I was like, ah, okay, got to do this. So, uh, wait for her to come back. She comes back and I say, Hey, my eggs, um, they're just undercooked. Like I was being so passive aggressive about it. I was like, Hey, they're just undercooked. I need, need them, you know, new eggs. And her answer is, well, that's how we do them here. Now, maybe because I was so passive aggressive, maybe because I was so polite by nature. She thought she could get away with that crap with me. What what people don't realize is that I'm a, always nice first. That is my policy in life. Nice first. Uh, there's a movie, right? It's like, be nice. Oh yeah, isn't that, uh, isn't that uh, with uh, Patrick Swayze? What's that? Uh, uh, Roadhouse, right? Always be nice until it's time not to be nice. That's kind of how my brain works. So I wasn't mean to her, by the way. I would never be mean to a server. Uh, they don't get paid enough to, to be crapped on. So but what happened was um, my sarcasm comes out real fast. It's the first thing that comes out, which is so what happens. She's like, oh, that's how we make them here. And I said, oh, I've been here nine times. So what you're saying is you made them wrong eight times and now you got it right. I just want to be clear. Right. And I laughed and she's like and I said, she's so she's she took the plate. She was upset, obviously. And again, I don't think I was being mean to her. I was just being sarcastic like this. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm pointing out you know, that they're undercooked. Um, so they bring me new eggs, which is how you solve the problem. You scramble up some new eggs. Now what's important is, 
And this is how she got the big fat tip. And I'm not kidding. I gave her, uh, I think we gave her like, I don't know, 20 bucks. The manager comes and says, the waitress says that you had an issue with the eggs. Is everything okay? And I said, yeah, everything's fine. And I, and when the manager left, I told my wife, I said, see, that's how she's supposed to handle it. Just take care of me and tell the manager, don't worry about it. Right. Why is she the, the, her first reaction to me was so unintuitively wrong. The defense mechanism, which is to defend something. She didn't even make the eggs. What does she care? Right. She had, she's going to make trips back and forth to the table anyways. Just correct the problem. Right. I'm not upset. I'm not berating her or her restaurant or insulting their dignity as egg preparers. Right. I'm just saying, hey, this is eggs are not they're not right. <laughs> <laughs> they cost like I'm paying like twelve fifty for eggs. You 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 could hell nuke them. I could care less what you do with them. I'm you know so uh, so the reason I went on that long tirade for you, Jay, is to tell you the same thing with your bad experience at your music store. Tell them the bad experience and then grade them on their response. That is the important part. So first you grade them like my eggs. My eggs were bad. They were running. I wasn't going to eat them. That's a bad grade. That's an F. Now I've asked them to fix it, and now I'm going to grade their response. I tell you that story. Notice I don't tell you the name of the restaurant because I don't want to defame them. I, I like the restaurant. I've been going there since and I'm still happy with them. Just this instance is a good illustration of a coachable moment, teaching moment, as we would say, right? This is a way to understand me to convey a message through a story. Um, my point is, is they took care of this. So the grade I give them isn't the F for the bad eggs. It's the A I give them for the way they took care of it. And I ended up overpaying the crap out of those eggs with that tip. But, um, but again, I gave them the opportunity to fix it and they took it. They did it. So what I'm saying is a very long way of telling you guys, always give somebody the opportunity to fix a problem, but more importantly, watch how they fix it. That's what I've learned. You can tell something about a person, their their mentality, the way they think, the, the corporate vibe, the company vibe, the mom and pop vibe, right? You can tell. Hell, I've had experiences, and again, this is up to you, everybody individually, where a person has not done what I've asked. In other words, I had a bad experience. I told them a problem. They couldn't fix it for me, but they were so heartfelt in their attempt to try that I'm like, hey, I have to give them a B for the effort. I don't really actually give out grades so you guys know, but you get the idea. I'm like, you know what? They didn't fix the problem, but man, they were trying. I sometimes would rather have somebody try to fix the problem than sometimes fix it. Not always, because sometimes you just want your problem fixed. Like for instance, I'm not eating running eggs just because they were nice enough to try and fix them, but you get the idea. I digress. This got a little weird, but <laughs> he says, thank you and keep up the great work. And uh, hey, his name's Jason but spelled totally different than I've ever seen the word Jason spelled. Very cool. That, that is fun. So the answer to your question, uh, Jason is, um, it seems fine to me. If the guitar, it's again, it's back to that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If the guitar plays great, if you like the guitar, if you're happy with the guitar, it's fine. If the Rosewood's bugging you, I understand that. Here's what I've learned from selling those kind of high-end guitars to customers. If I give you some psychology of the insight, and maybe you'll relate to it. We're all. Uh, it's psychology is an interesting thing. Not that I'm a psychologist in any way. Is that people think and they can't help it. 
the way they think. So reason why I say that is I've been on the other side of the counter selling the guitars to people. Even being on that side, I still relate to the other side very much so because I'm that side as well. So what I'm saying is, is I'm going to tell you that what I've learned is the more you spend for a guitar, the more you feel like that guitar should be perfect. And what I and I understand that because I have that same feeling. Like if I buy my Gibson Les Paul, it needs to be perfect. If I buy the Epiphone and the color on the Rosewood's not dark enough, I'm like, eh, that's just the look of the draw. But on a Gibson Les Paul, uh, you know, so I understand that where they can bug you. But so far, uh, the int- only thing I can tell you is if it's bugging you the way it looks, I understand that. I, I understand. I, I empathize with your problem. As silly as it may feel. Because I'm sure it feels silly. Because I feel silly that way. Sometimes I've gotten. Um, um, uh, well, look at this. Uh, things that bug you. I got my Fender cases there behind me. Some watching P- P- podcast. Wow, people watching the podcast won't be able to see them. Um, they're different. <laughs> These things are so ridiculously overpriced. Three hundred thirty bucks for a guitar case because it's in tweed. It's so cool though. It's in tweed. Um, and, um, you know, I figured, hey, my guitars are nice. I, I really want them in something safe. But what was funny was I got one and I got another one and the other one doesn't match. They're slightly different colors of tweed and red velvet. There's nothing I can do about it. But in your head, I understand what you're saying. Like, I'm like, why does it look different? Did they change manufacturers? Is this not as good as the other one? It doesn't look as good as the other one. So, um, so all I can do is put your doubts at rest, which is your guitar seems fine. How are we doing on time? 43 minutes into this thing. We're going to do another one, right? Um, what else? Uh, I'm trying to, oh, I got to mark that into the responded column. That's what I didn't do last time. Hmm. Hey, this is funny. I actually grabbed this based on the title. It says from Danny says, Hey, Philip, I was just, I just wanted to ask what brand is that guitar stand you have behind your video of the Kiesel Vader and Strandberg video? Uh, the one that's beneath those pedals, beneath the Guinness World uh, Record paper. Um, that's funny. I didn't know that was in the video. I have two of those uh, Guinness World World. Where are they at? I promise I didn't throw them away, <laughs> but I have two of these. I've uh, been in two uh, Guinness Book of World Records as a participant in the setting the record. I don't know what that means. Uh, it means that obviously it was there and I was part of it. I, I didn't set the world record. I was part of the, so they give you a nice certificate. So I'm just telling you that. Um, I'm looking for one similar to those, but I can't find that one. Uh, he gave me a link. I'm going to look at it and tell you what it is because I'm curious. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's that's what it is. He's found the Fender case, Tweed case. So, uh, Danny, that's what I was just talking about it. So when you see this or hear this, um, it's the, the Fender uh, Tweed cases. They're like 329 US for a case for the seven. These hold sevens, seven guitars. They have a shorter one. Um, they're very expensive. Somebody, <laughs> ooh, they're super expensive uh, for a case. But um, I uh, I had black ones years ago, which you could get 
for a fraction of the price. You don't have to get the Fender branded ones. The Fender brand ones are just, they're just putting brand, their brand on somebody else's case. The black ones you can get from Stag with two Gs. You can get from Roadrunner, which is a Guitar Center's brand. You can get all kinds of dirt cheap. The reason is, is I have a problem with dog hair. My shirt is covered in dog hair right now. My dog uh, touched me and it's, I'm just covered in dog hair. Um, so when I go to the guitars and I see all that dog hair where it drives me crazy, the red hides it better. <laughs> so I learned that just, you know, the, the red, red, you know, the dog hair, you vacuum it out. Um, these things end up becoming collectors for dog hair. Uh, I'm pointing for those watching the listening podcast, I'm pointing at the guitar cases, uh, and the guitars, like literally the dog hair gets in the back of these things. You have to pull all the guitars out, vacuum everything out with your shop vac or whatever, and just clean everything out. Um, and uh, so that's why I do that. And the reason I do that is because my wife has her dogs. She loves her dogs. They shed a lot. I've talked about this uh, in the past. And my sinuses go crazy. I don't think I'm allergic to dogs, but definitely when the dander and the dog hair gets a little too much in the house, it's just a little too much for my sinuses. Um, and um, especially if they're already been inflamed from the season and stuff. So I just try to find ways to clean the stuff out. And it's a mental thing for me. Um, when I see dog hair, then all of a sudden, ironically, that afternoon, I'm like, oh, my sinuses are hurting. I know it's probably in my head, it's placebo effect, but it does. If I see dog hair all of a sudden, if I see clumps of dog hair or pieces of it somewhere, I'm just immediately like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my sinuses are hurting later. And I'm like, oh, and I, you know, you get the idea. Um, uh, yeah, so he's saying the problem is the ones he found support three. He needs more. These hold seven. They make a three and a seven. Uh, he sent the Tolman link. Uh, I'm assuming because he sent Tolman, he's outside of the country. I don't know where they get him distributed, but it's definitely Fender, and you're looking at the right thing, if that helps. Oh, I lost. I lost it. Where are we going? I said one more, but that was really not the one, right? Because that was the... Uh, I, saw, I saw a guitar case, and I thought I had to hit that. Uh, guitar stand, I should say. Um, what else... Uh, Okay, we're gonna hit this one. Oh no, I don't wanna hit this. A lot of pictures, um, which I can't share with you because there's pictures. All right, what else do we got? I'm gonna do one more. Um, Tim says, Phil, I'm either wasting your time, okay, or you will be intrigued. I'm intrigued. Does that help you, Tim? Let's go on. I wish to build a Telecaster-shaped short-scale bass. Okay. Body of a Tele with a 30-inch scale maple neck. I can buy a Tele body blank. Suggestion? Question mark. And a maple fingerboard neck with proper heel pocket size. Suggestion? Bridge pickups, tuners, and assemble without going crazy. I'm asking you specifically because you play both bass and guitar. Can you steer me in the right direction? I have a budget of $500. Oh yeah, that's gonna be tougher. Uh, by the way, it's possible I did fall off the turnip truck. Uh, I don't know what that means. By the way, that's gotta be you know um, all these old timey sayings. Um, they obviously come from somewhere. Somewhere there's uh, some kind of term term. You know, somebody literally sat on a turnip truck and fell off of it, I guess. I, I don't know. Um, who knows? I'm sure if we Google it, somebody right now is looking it up. 
finding out what it means. But what's the point of this? The point is for 500 bucks, you want to make a short scale Telecaster base. Um, I, you know, this is one of those things depends on how good, how I would say do the, do it from scratch at this point. That's the, your budget's going to get eaten up in that neck. Um, I don't know if you have the ability to make necks. I'm assuming you don't. Most, most people don't have the ability to make necks. They can make body. So I would make the body yourself. Um, that makes that easy. You can, uh, you can get a telly body blank, but you can actually just get a block of wood and cut it out a telly shape, um, much easier. Um, if you don't have the tooling for that, this is where it gets tricky. Um, you could see about getting a telly body blank that just has a neck pocket and then try to adapt from there. Um, my guess though is, hold on. I'm looking is sometimes it's always about where to look. So let's do, let's, oh my goodness, that's not a lot. Oh, I was gonna take, I was looking at some sources where I thought uh, you might actually be able to find that base, but I don't see it. Um, so to answer your question, it's the 500 bucks is a tough question. You know what I mean? Because getting a short scale, 30 inch scale next, not the end of the world, you can do that. Um, but I mean, what you're trying to do is a little tricky. The bridge, pickups, tuners, I mean, all that's easy. Uh, tuners, you would just use standard bass tuners, pickups, uh, same thing. You could, you know, it's a telly, but I would use the, uh, the bass telly uh, pickup. Uh, that's a pretty straightforward thing. Same with the bridge. Um, the other thing you could do, it's not going to be 500 bucks, but I, it was something I would consider is, I don't know, you could, you could see about buying like a Squire Telecaster base and then seeing about getting an aftermarket neck that shortens the scale, but it just depends. I would do it from scratch. This is, this is an easy question. It's really got to be from scratch thing. And really the problem is your budget. Trust me, I think $500 is not a little bit of money, but for what you're trying to do, you know, if you said you're trying to build a, a telly base for 500 bucks, it could be done. That's even tricky. $500 kit guitars are really, um, you know, you can buy a kit guitar for 200 bucks, 150 bucks, but bass is a little tricky. The other thing you can do is you could look at uh, kit bases like Harley Benton's and stuff, but again, the problem with the kits is you're going to be buying a kit that's coming with a neck that you can't use because you want the 30-inch scale. So I would really see about uh, doing the body yourself so that way you can invest all the money into the, to the neck. All right, anything else? Here's one more. Michael, I think the future of amps with Kemper Axe Effects, I think he's saying, I think the future of amps with Kemper Axe Effects, et cetera, might be with digital recording and analog vinyl. Vinyl has never gone away and a true audiophile will have a turntable and vinyl records. Last week I heard a re recently released CCR live at Woodstock on a local independent, ra independent radio station. It was being played on vinyl and sounded great even on an average circa 2001 car stereo later i went to uh, spotify to hear some more of it and of it and much better audio system and it was n not as impressed 
Okay, so we understand where he's coming from, Michael. Your uh, vinyl sounding better to you than digital. Okay, uh, great. Let's let's see where this is going. I saw an Anderton video with Chapman doing a blind AB, and he chose Kemper over his favorite victory amp. The thing is, we'll always have to have the original source tube amps, so there is a source to model from, right? I don't know how they actually go about doing modeling process. Uh, you know, and then he put he ended it with always watching Mike. Thanks, thanks, Mike. Um, uh, so Mike, I I understand where you're coming from. We all have this uh, uh, this in our heads right now. You know, why, right? I don't know why we care. <laughs> I don't know if it's a musician thing that we care or it's a gear geek thing that we care. I don't know why we care that you know digital technology might take over. It's so silly if you think about it, uh, that we care, but we do care. And, um, you know, and there's things you have to think about. Like I think about the fact that I like having my cell phone. It does a lot of things, but I have to admit when I'm on a phone call talking to somebody, it's the worst sounding thing I've ever heard. Uh, I would, we would never tolerate that from our, if our phones at home back in the day sounded like cell phones. Now we would call the phone company and be like, you need to get out here and fix this. Everything sounds crappy. But, uh, but you know, they have other purposes and that's i think the modelers too are the same kind of logic they just like you're you're talking about with spotify versus vinyl records and radio yes the radio sounded great with records but the bigger question isn't that it sounded better it's that spotify allowed you to go to the source hear the source you wanted to do do the exact thing you do the radio you had to be there the day that he was doing that you know what i mean it's that it's a convenience factor so the problem is is that you have to weigh everything out and then figure out where you land so there's the uh you know and i think with kemper and i'll just pick on kemper because it's easy because i'm gonna say for for me axe effects kemper helix they're all in the same bandwagon the fact that they work slightly differently doesn't really matter to me the matters to me is that they're in the same category and what i mean by that is i think to uh there's a couple reasoning a uh, couple reasons for the kemper system i'm gonna use kemper because again it's easy to talk about it travels well. You know, it's not as heavy as an amp, so you can take it somewhere. Um, it's uh, cheaper to maintain. You know what I mean? Uh, I, you know what I mean? Let's be honest. I mean, it's a digital product. Like most digital products, it works until it doesn't. Tube amps have tubes. They have other things. They Their caps have to be replaced after a couple, you know, maybe a decade or so. Um, the... Uh, uh, basically you understand there's convenience factor. So that just like the Spotify versus your radio, there's a convenience factor has to be weighed in, which is what some people are going to, some players are going to gravitate towards. They're going to take the, just like this. I would rather listen to CCNR a little less. Uh, I'd I rather listen to CCR crappier when I want versus sounding good when I don't have time. You know what I mean? I mean, what if I don't have time to listen to it on the radio when he comes on at three o'clock in the afternoon, right? So there's those factors that come in. There's also the factor of um, when it comes to the uh, modeling stuff, uh, the problem is recording. Recording is what you're talking about and recording is an important thing. So I'm gonna talk about the Chapman thing last. Recording is, here's the biggest problem with recording. We are digitally recording now. So if you were saying, hey, I'm gonna mic an amp and I'm gonna run it into a mixing board, into a reel-to-reel recorder, and it's all analog, and you're gonna argue that that now that's the truest form, and then that gets sent and pressed onto a vinyl record, and now that's a true on, uh, analog source, that's great. However, let me argue this, and again, I'm not a recording person, so I could be totally misspeaking, but uh, I'm just going off what I think I understand. 
But what if I mic an amp and I record it into my computer, you know what I mean, like everybody else does, and then that digitizes it and turns it into ones and zeros, and then that recording gets transferred to something else, and then I send that and have it pressed to a vinyl recording? Is that all analog? I don't know now, right? Because once it's turned to ones and zeros, it's different. Uh, to me, that's how I think about all this stuff. You know, I think that's I think about like a wireless unit now, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's digital wireless units now. Take, taking a signal and converting it to ones and zeros, sending it, and then converting it back to sound. It's not the same, is it? That's the question of the day. So um, that's the problem. The problem I can tell you is I've learned a lot on YouTube, on this platform recording stuff, is that whatever I record in an analog world, I send it to you in a digital world. And when people talk to me and I compare a digital product, and this is the important part, when I compare a digital product to an analog product in a room, 100% of the time, the guitar players with me, my friends, 100% of the time, my wife, people don't even know guitar goes, oh, the analog, way better. They don't even know what they're listening to. They're like, first one. Right? Like that's how naive, I'm talking about people who are so naive, they don't even know digital versus tube. I play them both and they go, the first one or the second one, whatever, right? They don't even know what they're listening to. This is to pick the one. And the one they always pick is the analog source, the tube amp, whatever, okay? It always wins in the room, it just does. Now, once I digitize that and send it on the internet, then I get more comments like, they sound the same, they sound the same. Ah, I can't tell the difference. Ah, I could tell how I can't tell the difference. Okay, you can't tell the difference. Right, because I took an analog thing and a digital thing and I made them both digital things. So I have fought this on my channel for years. My reaction is the most important thing. The reactions are what you're grading, right? It's what you're doing. Um, the Chapman thing, I didn't watch, so I don't know. But what I will tell you is, because I don't even know if he played it or if Captain Anderson played it and he was just listening to it, I, I don't know. I will tell you this. Now, for the Chapman argument, I want to take and I want to separate all the stuff I just said, because now we're talking about a musician giving you a opinion of a thing that they did. And here's the trick. The idea that I would pick a tube amp over a digital platform is not obvious to me. So here's what I mean by that. I don't. And again, I, I mean this because uh, there's different musicians listening. Are you listening? And uh, they're going to have different opinions about because they're going to sh- like their own paradigms. In other words, the metal players are going to think like metal players. Jazz players are going to think like jazz players. The old dudes are going to think like old dudes. The young kids are going to think like young kids. You can't. I can't stop that. So the reason I tell you that is that whatever I tell you right now, you're going to filter through your own mindset. But I so I'm just going to tell you my logic. If I was to say that I've never heard this is a, I'm going to give you two true straight two true statements and then I'm going to clarify them. I have never heard a digital product that sounded as good as a tube product. That's a statement I'm making right now. Right now people are filtering and thinking are their reactions to what I just said. I really believe that when it comes to clean. When it comes to the clean channel on a good tube amp and I plug into it, it just feels amazing. When I plug into a digital product and I even run it through that same tube amp, it doesn't feel the same to me. I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's a small latency that my ear detects. I don't know if it's the digital, I call it the digital chirp, the little top end thing that happens on digital that just kind of, it just comes out. There's a, a sound that comes out. And I feel like the only way to get the digital right is to compress the crap out of it to get it warmer or sounding. And then it sounds overly compressed. So I've never been happy with that. Now here comes the second part. I've never heard a high-end digital product that didn't sound as good as a tube amp. In that statement, what I'm saying is, is that if I take, I have, I'm like right now I'm looking at my 5153 50 watt head 606 by EVH. 
If you were to plug in the Kemper and, and, and play the two to me, or let me play the two, I bet you I wouldn't even hear the difference. When there's so much distortion, I can't tell. Maybe because I'm not a high-end, I'm not a consumer, not consumer, a connoisseur of distortion, right? I use overdrive. I like distortion, but I don't use tons of it, right? When you hear saturated amount, when I hear saturated one, at some point, every amp turns into a metal zone to me at some point. It's like, there's so much gain that I'm just like, yeah, it sounds good. I like it. Don't get me wrong. I like it, but I don't feel like it's different. So the reason I say that is he can play that amp. And to me, when somebody says, oh, I played a Kemper and it sounded just like the victory amp. I'm like, yeah, to me too. When somebody says they hear a Kemper amp sounds like they're a Princeton or their twin reverb, I'm like, no, it doesn't. Not to me. That's where it loses. It uh, it's, it's can't hold that ground right for me. Um, the cleans just don't feel that way. Now, that being said, I've learned now with my uh, Helix Stomp and my other effects units and all this stuff, I've learned that when recording, some there's certain things I just love about the way they record. And sometimes I can get them to sound like on recording how I get my Fender amp or my or amp I like to sound in the room. That's the weird part for me. I can plug into, let's say I'm looking at, cause I'm looking at amps right now. I'm looking at my Dirty Shirley Mini. I plug into that and I, I love it. I can mic it, I can do everything in the world and I can get a good sound. But sometimes just going into these modeling things and finding that presets and going in and editing them, I record them and I play them and I go, that sounds more like that amp does recorded than the amp did recorded. So my whole point to this is, is that I think, oh, I think where I resolve to be on this is I like having tube amps cause they're cool. That's one thing that's cool about them. I have no problems with digital stuff. What I will tell you is this, all I care about is what sounds good and feels good. And right now, some things about digital feels good and sounds good and some things don't. And I don't think it's a, you know, when they make better processors, I'll, they'll eventually be there. I just think it's about uh, getting them set up right. So that was a weird tangent to go on. Let me drink some coffee. But um, to to go to your last point, which is the thing is, um, you know, you have to go to the original audio source. Well, here's the argument I have. Somebody will plug into a, uh, and I've actually did this. So, you know, this is a true story and not to embarrass the party. I'm not going to bring up names, but I'm going to say I, this is a funny story because it's true. Somebody said to me, somebody being a friend, said, oh, this sounds just like a Plexi. And I go, hey, I have a question for you. When's the last time you played a real Plexi, like a real one? And they said, oh, yeah, like a few years ago. And I said, oh, yeah, where? And they were like processing. And they're like, well, maybe it was like 15 years ago. And I go, right, 15 years ago, you played a real Plexi. So you do you even know what a Plexi sounds like anymore? I mean, 15 years ago, I had a meal somewhere. Do I know what that meal still tastes like? Is it, is it, does it sound, what I'm basically getting at is if you let enough time go by between, like you said, between here and the original source, I believe, I don't get sideways. What I'm saying uh, on this, on the sources is that sometimes you have an, a memory, a false memory. You have a memory of a thing that sounded a way that it didn't sound like. How many times you heard it and go, oh my God, I, I totally takes me back. That's the way I heard it. And sometimes you're like, oh, I don't remember it sounding like that. I believe that a lot of times what we think are amps like Plexi's, JCM 800s, uh, you know, certain other amps like Mesa Boogies, we, we've heard so many versions of them and so many recordings and so many things that we just know that's what they sound like. But when you hear the real source, you go, oh, I don't remember it sounding like that. I thought it sounded different. So it, it does work that way. So yeah, I understand there's a, a way to do that. What I, what I think about is this. 
uh, uh, plexis actually are the things that everybody seems to talk about the most. And plexis have an interesting thing in my my mind because when I think of a Marshall plexi, I think of an amp that's been on hundreds of recordings, if not thousands, and recorded so many different ways that to say what does it sound like, it's crazy. Is a plexi is it a plexi in theory? Is it ACDC? Like, oh, let's not even use plexi. This is Marshall. Is ACDC the Marshall tone? Is Eric Johnson the Marshall tone? You know what I mean? Is Motley Crue the Marshall tone? Is, you know, you see what I'm saying with this, right? Is who's the Marshall sound, right? Who, and then you realize like, okay, it's the Marshall amps, but these musicians learn to change them. One of my favorite things that uh, an argument that gets on the F, uh, Axe Effects, Kemper and stuff is like, well, if you're all using these presets, like who, who's gonna, how, how are you gonna have an original sound? Well, you're gonna have original sound the same way you always had original sound. Somebody is going to have an ear, just right? Think about it this way. I don't worry about this stuff that way. I like to talk about gear like this. I like to talk about these things. These are subjects I'm interested in talking about, listening to people talk about, because uh, I'm curious to see how we all think and and how I can uh, advance what I want to do, my, my joy. How do I get this to be uh, fun, more fun, and to do more? But here's something I think about. It's the same arguments are always being presented. In the music world, they're like, hey, there's no more new music because all the chords have been played, all the scales, they're all the same. Yet, there's still new music. You know what I mean? All the all the amps, the good amps, all the modeling, there'll be no original sounds because it's all modeled now. Okay. Think about that attitude when you think of food. <laughs> how many times have you had a meal and all of a sudden, I mean, how, I mean, think of this, you could be on this planet 30 years, 30 year old person and literally have a meal you've never had before. I mean, think about that. I want to put that in perspective. You eat two to three times a day, <laughs> every day of the year, pretty much. You know, I understand the first few years of baby food and stuff, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Let's just take, let's just argue from 15 year old to 30, right? That's 15 years. For 15 years, you're eating two meals a day, times every day, times a year, times 15 years, and you have a meal one day when you're 30 and you've never tasted this uh, something like this before. And now what I want you to think about is, yes, yeah, sometimes that's because there's an ingredient you've never had before, but sometimes you've had a version of a meal where it's the same ingredients. There was tomatoes in it, there was uh, garlic, there was salt, there was pepper. You know, so what I'm saying is, is that the, the human mind is way more powerful than any of this crap. You know what I mean? The, the musicians as a whole will always find a different, better way than this stuff. So if musicians can use Kempers and Axe Effects and Helix, like we used, uh, we being older generations of musicians used, uh, you know, uh, Princeton's and Plexi's and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, shoving a weird pedal in front of an amp and then running that through a different cabinet to get a different sound. Yeah, it's, it's very organic. It's very, uh, it's fun, you know, mechanical. Oh, I, I, pl I put this speaker in, I tried this pedal, I, I did this, you know, right, and you get a sound. Is it the same, you know, tactile feeling as a boop, boop, beep, boop, pushing some buttons and getting a sound or turning knobs and digitally things happening or getting your mouse and set, set? No, it's not the same, but, you know, who cares, <laughs> right? The best part about this is this. Uh, I will tell you this. If you like tube amps, right? If you like tube amps and you like, uh, like vinyl and you like old turntables and you like all that stuff, the good news is, it's not going anywhere. It's, thank goodness it's a technology that literally does not die. It's uh, my uh, insert amp that you want to talk about, all my tube amps. Um, if I wanted to, 
I believe that almost, well, I'll say 90% of them, and I really kind of feel like it's 99%, but 90% of them will live past the day I die. Uh, because they're easy to fix, right? It's tubes, it's caps, it's a, it's a transistor, it's a resistor, it's a capacitor. It's, uh, it's a pretty straightforward thing to fix. Um, it's not like a technology where your iPhone dies and, you know, I mean, it's, it depends on what, you know, I mean, how are you going to fix it? You know, you got to take it to a place, but no average person's pulling apart their cell phone and figuring out what chip went bad in there. Um, so the great thing is the technology that you love is going to be around. I don't know about forever, but it'll, we're good. <laughs> It's the next couple generations. If they want tube amps, they're going to be paying through the nose. You, you, you want to know what I believe? I believe that my son's, uh, well, my son doesn't have kids, but my son's kids, right? My kids' kids, they're going to be paying uh, probably the same price they pay for a car for a tube amp if they want one. Like so, if a musician, I'm talking about, let's say, uh, well, if we're talking about 20 years from now, 20, 30 years from now, 20, 30 years from now it's going to be a little dicey because of that same reasoning. It's going to be, they, they won't be, they won't make as many as we go on. They're already not making as many now and some will die, you know, right? Some of the amps will die and the parts will get more scarce, right? But they'll keep going. And so it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a worry you have for them, but is it a worry? I don't know. By then they'll probably have figured something out. And to be honest with you, they'll probably end up retro liking them better. Uh, it's back to the, uh, uh, talk about not being able to predict anything. None of us can predict anything. If uh, 2020 has taught us anything, no one's predicting anything correctly ever, right? <laughs> you don't even have to be that old. Just be 20 years old. If you're 20 years old right now, be confident in the idea that no one who's 40, 50, or 60 seems to know any more than you about the world right now because it doesn't. it's all new. It's a new world new stay at home, new weird stuff. So that's it. This is a weird podcast today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was sponsored by no one. <laughs> Patreons really do support this, uh, the podcast. Uh, so I want to thank them for that. That's actually, uh, the important part to say. It's important to say thank you to those amazing people that literally support this channel. And, uh, I want to thank you guys for listening to this stuff. And as always, uh, I want to thank you for your time. Till the next time.